You're listening to Alamo City Limits Podcast with Noah McGarrow-George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock in SB Nation. What's going on, San Antonio Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah McGarrow-George, and that is my co-host, Damian Bartonic. Man... How are you feeling after a whirlwind trade deadline from the Spurs? Man, they, they did so much, and I don't know that anybody expected that. But here we are. They made a few trades. So first impressions. I just I need that from you. Yeah, overall, I, I think everyone was was surprised. Everyone was shocked, and it's for good reason. Uh, they didn't do anything like we've seen some of these other teams do at the deadline. They didn't make any moves that you know make you scratch your head or make you wonder where this team's going. Uh, they identified what they need to do. It's something that we're going to get in here with our first topic, so I'm going to hold off my thoughts on the entire thing for right now. But, man, I was really thrilled to see what they did. Um, as a writer, someone who you know has been a fan of the team you know, in years past, who I'm still a fan of the team, not in the same sense because I do write and I like to make sure I keep that, uh, you know, keep that, uh, you know, writing and fandom kind of in check there. Uh, but I will say this: for the first time in a very long time, Noah, I actually felt a little bit of fire come back for, <laughs> for the Spurs. I and it's not because I'm excited to buy a jersey; it's because, man, this team actually has a direction, brother. Like we cover a team. That has a little bit of direction, and I'm excited, bro. I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited too, and and I just we'll, we'll get into the real thing. But I want to let our listeners know we're recording this podcast today. This is actually our second recording. Earlier, I I, I committed a cardinal sin of podcasters. You have one job, that's to make sure that the mic is on. This man Dame over here spent an hour of his time. We recorded, <laughs> we knocked it out of the park. It was a great podcast. It was so much fun. I turned the audio on as I'm editing it, like nearly silent. I forgot to turn my mic on. So here we are. It is 10 p.m. Central Time on Friday, February 11th, and we are recording for the second time. So one, apologies to you, but also shout out to you for for coming back, doing this with me. And I want to get this trade deadline talk started. So Let's talk about the deals that went down leading up to trade deadline for the Spurs because I feel like going in chronological order makes the most sense here. But before we get into any of the real specifics, I just wanted to get your feelings in general about the general manager, man, Brian Wright. I mean, he he was able to do a lot and he was uncharacteristically active for what we've expected from San Antonio over the years. So I just need your, again, I need your impressions of this. What did you think of what he was able to do? Because it feels like this is the first time we've seen him really take charge since he became general manager of the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and set the tone with some opening thoughts here about just the overall makeup and, and what they did at the deadline over the past probably 48 hours. And you can probably extend that over the last three weeks or so. Um, this season coming into the year, I think me and you and, and, you know, other Spurs fans, you know, we expected this team to win probably 30, 33 games at most. Uh, success this year was not going to be determined by wins and losses, but for sheer development to find out who is going to be here, um, you know, long term, who can actually fit and carve out a role and find something uh, for themselves long term in the silver and black, right? Well, right now the Spurs, um, even after beating Atlanta, I, bl- I believe they're still 13, 14 games under 500. Uh, they haven't, you know, been very, very consistent. Uh, they've been really bad in games that, you know, go down the stretch, you know, in clutch time, they're one of the worst teams down, you know, in the clutch time and stuff like that. I think overall, man, it's just seeing what they did really just provided that spark that I think they needed. That's really going to set the tone for what you want to do going forward. 
Uh, with organizations like the Spurs, everyone talks about the Spurs way. Everyone talks about, you know, what is and what isn't with this team. And right now, overall, I know they like to take care of their own. I know taking care of your players is a big deal, right? And, and it's what the Spurs have done, and it's what they've been known for for decades, right? But the Spurs way, above all, is winning. That's what really matters in San Antonio. And they want to get back to winning. So rather than sit on their hands and say, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. Oh, uh, you know, we're going to stick with what we have. Or, you know, you know, the famous saying that goes around, we like what we have. <laughs> no, Brian Wright said, no, that's not what we, we don't like what we have. We don't like where we're at. And it's no shot against those that they moved. But good organizations make moves like this. Good organizations are proactive. They grab rebuilds by the throat and they set the tone and they really want to make something happen. And they do. And that's what the Spurs did. So overall, I think I, I'm, I was really impressed with what they did. Uh, I think this is exactly what I've been telling people that they should do. Uh, and it's, again, no slide at those that they moved. But when you look at everything that they did, Noah, this was one of the best trade deadline scenarios I could have possibly imagined. And uh, if I'm a Spurs fan right now, I'm thrilled with what they did. I'm glad as a Spurs fan, if I was a Spurs fan, I'd be glad with them knowing or with knowing that they identified what the what some of the issues are and what they need to do going forward, and they took care of business and set the tone for what should be a stellar offseason. And I think I'm going to have to copy and paste that answer because I think you put it perfectly. One thing I did want to add, I thought that was pretty funny. Our guy Trevor Zickraff on Twitter, we both love, love Trevor. He's an <laughs> yeah. awesome guy. Uh, you know, he's been covering the Spurs, following the Spurs for a really, really long time. Somebody, Some people know him from 48 Minutes of Hell. You may have seen him on Twitter. But on Twitter today... I saw a fan say, you know, safe to say the concept of Spurs family died today. You know, we, we moved Derek White, we moved Drew Eubanks, Thaddeus Young, like there is no Spurs family. And I loved what Trevor said in response. He said, you know, I'm pretty sure if the Spurs were 15 games under 500 at any point during the Tim, Tony, and Manu era, they would have looked to make moves, even with guys they drafted. Only Dom Toretto sticks by family when you're 15 games <laughs> under 500. And I think that's perfect because I don't think the concept of family is dead with the Spurs. I, I don't think that's true at all. We saw them do right by so many guys, and we'll get into the specifics again with these trades later, but... You saw Bryn Forbes go to Denver. That's a great situation for him. He's playing next to Jokic. You have guys like Jamal Murray coming back, possibly Michael Porter Jr. coming back. This is going to be a real playoff team. They're going to compete for something. They moved Thaddeus Young to a contender, potentially. They moved Drew Eubanks, who unfortunately we, we know he got cut, but they tried to do right by Drew Eubanks, move him to a team that's in the playoffs. And that's a consistent theme that we've seen from them. So even though they're parting ways with guys and people think, you know, it's cutting ties with family, this is a business. But they still love these guys. Pop loves these guys. The front office is trying to do right by them. So family isn't dead. It's just that this is a business and you have to make business decisions. And as you mentioned, Brian Wright came out here. He wasn't playing around. It's not that they acquired a superstar or anything like that. They didn't get a Jokic. They didn't get an Embiid. But they made the moves that good organizations make. It may have been on the fringes, but they have opened up so many possibilities. So let's go ahead and get into the first trade. It wasn't one that happened on the deadline. We hit on it a few weeks ago when it happened because it was like the biggest news for, for Spurs fans for quite a while, at least for this season. We saw Bryn Forbes move to the Denver Nuggets. They got Juancho Hernan Gomez, a 2028 second rounder, and $2.35 million in cash considerations. And it sort of feels like this was the catalyst that set everything else in motion over the past couple of weeks. So when that deal went down, Dane, did you think Pop and the front office were going to keep making moves and, and do what they did on this trade deadline? Or 
did you think you know that that was probably it and did it signal anything to you in particular looking back at it 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 signaled to me now you know now we're here you know in hindsight uh, it, it signals <laughs> to me now that this was this was just setting the tone for what's to come and rightfully so and good on them uh, i was i really really was surprised when they moved Bryn Forbes because i understand why they did it, it wasn't like i thought they shouldn't have uh, but I was I was somewhat surprised because Bryn is a guy that popped, you know, they re-signed even though they had a plethora of guards already on the roster. I was thinking that Bryn would be a guy that they'd really kind of keep uh, no matter what uh, goes on, you know, long-term with this organization. Just because he's a veteran and he's been in the system before and if Pop's going to be here for, you know, a couple, you know, two, three more years, it makes sense to have a guy that's already been in your system before. Uh, but when I saw that they moved him uh, for a player that respectfully doesn't offer you much, uh, a second rounder that's you know gonna be a, that's a fifth grader right now or a sixth grader. Uh, <laughs> I was I was a, I was a little shocked. I won't lie, uh, and, but not only that too. I did think that was all they were gonna do. Uh, we're gonna talk about him later, but I was anticipating a Thad Young buyout, uh, and I was not anticipating the Spurs to be very active at the deadline. I was actually anticipating them to kind of be that ultra conservative front office that they've kind of been in uh, in the trade market, and I, I wasn't expecting any of this. No, I'm not gonna lie to you. So I may be stumbling over my words a little bit, you know, Spurs fans, but when I, this really caught me, you know, out of left field, I was not expecting this. And especially now that we're looking back at it, man, you're right. This really did set everything in motion. This set the tone for what was a stellar deadline that I've already said once and I'm going to say it again, you know. So, uh, yeah, in, or, you know, in totality, yeah, I believe the Brent Forbes deal was, you know, the catalyst set everything in motion. And I also think this, I, you know, I didn't think they were going to do anything else. But I'm glad they did. And I was a little bit confused when they re-signed Bryn Forbes because, you know, it was a big deal. He was kind of the, the goat of this franchise and in a bad way. You know, like he was the yeah. scapegoat for this franchise. You know, third most minutes played, terrible defender. But at the end of the day, it wasn't his decision to be playing that much. And so when they parted ways with him, it was like the Spurs had almost won a championship. People were super happy. You know, it's a new era. We're going to get Lonnie playing more. We're going to get... Our guys like rookies, Devin Vassell, more minutes. You know, Lonnie, he's going to get more minutes. Derek, you name him. Like, fans were celebrating in the streets that this guy was gone. And then they bring him back in, in what seemed like it was going to be a rebuilding year. So I was initially confused, but I like the move now. In hindsight, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. But you look at it, and to me, th them moving on from Bryn Forbes you know, he's a useful vet, and when you move a, a useful vet like that for a second rounder, a replacement level player at best in Hernan Gomez, it sort of signals that you're waving the white flag. Not necessarily that they were going to compete for anything like a championship or a playoff run, but you look at it from this perspective, and he was really important to what they did. Like, he saved them in a ton of games. He had some really nice shooting nights, and we can talk about Keldon Johnson all day being the third best three-point shooter or most efficient three-point shooter in the NBA, but let's be honest. Outside of Doug McDermott, this guy had the most shot versatility on this roster as a three-point shooter. He's coming off screens. He's, you know, screaming around the court, relocating, shoot-off movement, a little bit off the dribble. I mean, this guy was probably their second best three-point shooter. So when you move off from a guy like that, and you're a team that, yes, you've improved from the three-point line, but you're still sorely lacking in threats from beyond the arc. It just signals that, hey, we're trying to turn a corner. We're trying to get minutes for now, like we mentioned. Lonnie Walker, Josh Primo, Trey Jones, maybe even Joe Wieskamp. So, again, we, we won't stick too long on this. But, really, this was the move that set everything in motion. And then the next move that we saw, 
kind of another small move. They sent Juancho Hernan Gomez. To, he was here for like a second. He was here for a second. Yeah. He took two breaths of that 2-1-0 air. He was out the door. They sent him to Utah for Tomas Sadoransky, a 2027 second-round pick, which is going to be the least favorable between the Thunder, Rockets, Pacers, and the Heat. And that pick doesn't matter that much, but they were able to stack assets. So what are your thoughts on that deal? And do you think that Thomas Sedaransky is going to end up playing for the Spurs this season? Because at least from the outside, as, as people who cover this team but we're not involved with the organization directly, sort of seems like he's probably not going to play that much. Yeah, no, I don't expect uh, Tomas Sedaransky to play much. Uh, I will say I was a little bit glad to see that the Spurs acquired a Czech NBA player. There's not very many of them in the NBA. I thought that was really, really nice of them to do. I'm sure they were thinking about me when they made that deal. But, <laughs> no, in, in, in all honesty, though, and, and you know, in reality, no, I don't expect him to play much. Uh, he's not having a very good year already right now. Although I may, you know, a part of me does have a small uh, belief that maybe <laughs> the Spurs do want that veteran, you know, backup point guard to kind of help run that second unit. Uh, I'm hoping that's not what they do because I'd, I'm hoping that they'd give a guy like Primo those reps. But, you know, hypothetically, I could see it happening, if not this year, maybe next year that keep him around on, on a cheap deal uh, to maybe kind of be that veteran presence for a guy like that. But, uh, no, he's having a, a really down year. I'd be shocked <laughs> if he plays much at all this year. He's shooting 29% from the field, 16% from deep. Right now as a pick-and-roll ball handler at a frequency of 32%. He's in the fourth percentile. So, no, I think overall, man, I'd be shocked if I see Tomas Sadoransky. It hurts my heart, right, because I would love to see uh, Sadoransky, the, uh, a Czech NBA player in a Fiesta jersey. But, unfortunately, my man, I don't think it's reality. And uh, I think, the, you know, the juiciest part of this deal was the second-round pick uh, in 2027. That's probably a seventh-grader right now. But, hey, you, that's plenty <laughs> of assets. Another asset to grab for someone who, and Hernan Gomez, who I don't even remember him playing, Noah. I may be showing my hand. I don't even remember. I really don't. He played a little bit, yeah. but really he wasn't very good when he was here. Yeah. He wasn't very good in Boston. He mostly played garbage time minutes. He played some minutes when the Spurs were shorthanded. But I think overall you look at this, the Spurs did a good job. They stacked assets. And I know people want to laugh, oh, you know, a second-round pick. What are you going to do? You know, you have like eight, nine, ten second-round picks. What are you going to do with that? But I think if you're a good organization, you're looking at the long game. And I think the Spurs are doing that because it's always nice to have those second-rounders in the event that you can package a few of them together because there are a lot of contending teams, whether you're a team like the Bucks, whether you're a team like the Nuggets, whether you're a team like the Heat, the Suns, the Lakers. Like, if you're a contending team, you want to spend your cash wisely. And a lot of times, those teams are absolutely cash-strapped. And one thing that's important to remember is these first-round picks, every single one of them, their salaries are guaranteed. So if you can throw them a couple of second rounders, you can get them out from those guaranteed contracts. Those second rounders can be useful. We've seen it in years past. Malcolm Brogdon has been very useful over the last couple of years. A guy like Nick, Nick Claxton was very useful over the last couple of years. You send them some second rounders who they can turn into two-way contracts, non-guaranteed contracts. You can get yourself a first rounder, and who knows? Maybe that guy ends up being special for you. Maybe he's a role player. Maybe you use that pick to move up as well. But for me... Good organizations are thinking like this. They're playing checkers. They're not playing chess. I'm happy with what they did, but, man, let's move on to this next deal. Let's do it, bro. I'm smiling not right now. Let's I, I do don't it. think anybody <laughs> can see it besides you because it's me and you on Zoom right now. Nobody can see me, see me smiling, but this made me so happy because you look at this trade, and I, if you're a Spurs fan, the entire fandom took a collective breath of relief on the trade deadline day. San Antonio shipped Thaddeus Young, 
Drew Eubanks, and the Pistons' 2022 second rounder to the Raptors for a former All-Star guard in Goran Dragic and a lottery-protected 2022 first-round pick. So what were your first impressions of that deal when you saw it break? I know what it is. You texted me when it happened. Oh, yeah. But I want you to tell the people, what were your first impressions and how happy were you to see that the Spurs did not have to buy out Thaddeus Young, continue that trend of buying out Pau Gasol, DeMar Carroll, LaMarcus Aldridge. I mean, it ended a streak of three straight years they had buyouts. So how happy were you to see that? I honestly thought... I, the the one thing that played over in my head was the you know the 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 gif from the office where that dude has the chili and he's <laughs> holding it and he's carrying it and he spills it. Okay, that was Brian Wright with this that young <laughs> whole situation. I thought the chili was spilled, Noah. I really did. And then all of a sudden the Spurs come out and they move him for for that package of getting a first round pick and Goran Dragic, who I, who I don't believe is going to play, but. You added that lottery-protected first-round pick, and right now it's projected to land anywhere from 18 to 20 right now. That's a very good value for a player in Thad Young who, respectfully, he's an older player, right? He hasn't played very much, if at all, especially over the last couple of months. And you grabbed a first-round pick for him. Yeah, you gave up your Detroit 2022nd in order to kind of like swap, so to speak. But that's for a rebuilding team like the Spurs, who, like, like you mentioned, yes, second-rounders are nice, especially for contending teams. But for a team that's not contending, a team that's rebuilding, I don't, I couldn't think of a better uh, trade package to get for a guy like that young, someone who's not playing for you at all. I, I was, I was shocked that they were able to get that because I personally felt like they kind of fumbled the situation a little bit. But the fact that they did, man, good on Brian Wright because that saved. They talk about the Brent Forbes deal setting the tone. This also, in in a way really set the tone of what Brian Wright was looking for and how aggressive he was at the deadline. So, in, 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 in all honesty, man, in terms of happy, yes, I was happy. If you're a Spurs fan, you should be happy that they actually figured something out here. And they got, you know, some some decent value for a player that wasn't, you know, offering very much. Uh, and a guy like Drew Eubanks as well, uh, it will be, you know, a little bit unfortunate to see him go. He's kind of like that, that you know, rotational big man off the bench. But in totality, for a first-round pick, a lottery-protected first, man, uh, that's the real steak here. That's the steak dinner that the Spurs needed that they were looking for. And I thought it was a fantastic deal. And I, I don't know, Noah. I mean, you saw what I told you, bro. I told you. I said, <laughs> I don't know how they did it, but they did it. And I think it's important to add some more context because I think sometimes people listen to shows or podcasts or they see Spurs media covering this team and they think, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're just kissing their feet. You're, you know, bowing down to them. But really – they know that we keep it real on the show. We're honest. We give our opinions here. Sometimes they're hot takes to people. Sometimes people don't agree with them. But when we give Brian Wright in this front office and the San Antonio Spurs credit, we really mean it. So I want to add some more context to this. Not only was Thaddeus Young not playing, he's a, he was a soon-to-be 34-year-old, had 24 DMPs, had several inactives because he had COVID. He missed a ton of time with that as well. And he was coming off a career year in Chicago. It looked bad from an outside perspective. This guy could not get on the court over Jock Landale. He couldn't get on the court over Drew Eubanks, guys who are more replacement level players than like true rotational bigs. And they were able to flip it into a first round pick. Obviously, Goran Dragic, we can talk about that for a second. I mean, he's probably as good as gone. There have been a ton of reports saying the Spurs plan on buying him out. Looks like the Mavericks, Bucks, Bulls, and Clippers are interested in him. So I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't end up playing a minute for the San Antonio Spurs, he didn't get a number announced, unlike some of the other players who they announced those trades. So 
signals to me they're probably looking to move him. They're not really sure what they're going to do with him yet. You know, move him not in terms of trade. The trade deadline is done, but in terms of, you know, they might buy him out, let him go to a better situation. They always try to do right by their vets. But the other part of this deal that I think goes really underrated was they moved Thad and they moved Drew, and that totally signals that the Spurs believe in Zach Collins as their backup center. Because this guy, he spent some time in the G League, He's come back, had three games. Each of them have been really solid, even tonight against the Hawks. Probably his worst game so far, but still really solid production from him. They believe in him. Former lottery pick guy. I mean, you clear minutes for a guy who has had three surgeries in 10 months, missed another eight months because of a shoulder surgery, has not played a full season since 2018-2019. The Spurs must be confident in him. So I think just the context around this entire situation makes this deal even sweeter for the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah, 100%. And I think another thing, too, with the entire Brian Wright and showing him love and everything like that as well, uh, it is for good reason right now especially. And it's because I was someone who kind of took a little bit of heat overall uh, with the whole entire Thad Young deal because I personally didn't believe like the Spurs uh, really did take care of him. I don't believe that. Like you mentioned, he did have a career year coming off with the Chicago Bulls. My first piece for Pan in the Rock was, hey, I think uh, between Doug McDermott <laughs> and Thad Young, Thad Young's going to be the more impactful veteran. I, I mean, I truly believe that. So, uh, no, in, in in reality, man, the Spurs, what they managed to get for a guy like Thad Young who wasn't playing, I think sensational. And, and this transcends uh, what we believe as fans or whatever. This is just reality. I mean, I don't know how many teams would be able to get a, a lottery-protected first-round pick for an aging player that in the in the time that he did come on the court didn't look very good. No. And, and it's, it's no shot at him because he's an older player. You need to play your way into rhythm as an older player, I'm sure, as a rotational player especially. And, yeah, man, I think this is big ups on, on Brian Wright and the Spurs for taking for, you know, for really taking care of this entire situation. And Goran Dragic, right? It's interesting because he was drafted by the Spurs in 2008. It'd be funny, right, if he kind of played a little bit, kind of yeah. comes back, right? You know, in a roundabout yeah. way, he, he ended up with the San Antonio Spurs. And, I don't. It's not like a done deal that he's getting bought out or anything like that. Because I saw a report today from some European reporter saying that he learned that Dragic is going to wear 19, like Luka Shamanich, which, like, that guy didn't work out great. Maybe not the best yeah. number to pick. But like at the end of the day, he's a vet. If he plays here, great. Maybe Dejounte can learn something. Trey Jones can learn something. Josh Primo can learn a little bit from him. But like, if they don't play him, I wouldn't be disappointed. Because as we talked with Tomas Sadoransky. You know, it's probably better for a rebuilding team like the Spurs to be getting these young guys minutes anyway. Oh, 100%. But I will say this, Drogic is a, wick, is a wicked passer, and every guard on the roster can learn a thing or two, especially in, in the facilitating aspect of, of being, you know, that floor general uh, from a guy like Goran Drogic. So you, it's a win-win. Either you, uh, you buy him out and those touches go to a guy like Josh Primo, or he's here, you know, you have a, a bunch of, a plethora of young guards that can learn a thing or two, especially when it comes to, you know, understanding pace and really uh, just mastering being able to facilitate the basketball, especially in the half court. So it's a win-win in my opinion, but I'm excited to move on to this next deal, brother. I think it's time to talk about the final deal of the trade deadline for the silver and black. And it was a shocker. It, it was a heartbreaker for the fans, uh, possibly their best deal of the day. I think it, it was a rowdy deal, Noah. Uh, San, you know, San Antonio sent fan favorite Derek White to the Celtics for Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, a top four protected 22 first rounder, and the right to swap first round picks with Boston in 2028. So for you, first, because he was a fan favorite, I think it's only right to kind of talk about the, not your fan feelings, but more so, g give me a, a feel for what you saw, how you felt as a writer, and 
does this signal anything to you? Yeah, I mean, we can we can start off with what it meant to me personally. I, you know, you, you can hear it in my spaces. You've probably heard it on podcast. I talk about it with anyone who will listen. But my mom, Kathy, went to CU Boulder. She graduated from there. And we've always been Buffs fans. You know, we love our Chauncey Billups. We love our Andre Robersons. And we've loved our Derek White. And so when the Spurs drafted Derek White with the 29th pick in 2016 or 20, I think it was 2017, it was it just like hit differently. It, it was special to see a guy you watched in college for a year at your program who helped you be a really solid team in the Pac-12, a really good basketball conference in the in Division One in college basketball. And he comes in here. He's sort of an afterthought. Some people were critical of of the draft pick. You know, the Spurs didn't really need another guard. They had Dejounte Murray. Uh, that some people saw him as maybe the future of the Spurs point guard position. And he comes in afterthought works his way into you know a role player a rotational player and that year that Kawhi Leonard sort of went MIA he starts breaking out a little bit he helps the Spurs get into the playoffs he has that big series against the Denver Nuggets that 36 points you know career high he's sort of labeled as the next big thing for the Spurs and you know he never reached that level of stardom but he did turn himself into one of the best two-way guards in the NBA, you know, among the league leaders in blocks per game for guards, among the league leaders in charges drawn, among the league leaders in shots contested. And he just did all the little things that help you win. And so when I heard that Derek White was moved, my first reaction wasn't, yes, they got all this stuff. Really, as, as a media member, as a guy who's transitioned into a, a serious media role, because I'm trying to be more professional every single day, I try to be unbiased. I try not to have an emotional attachment to any of these players. Just cover this team in an honest way. You know, this is my analysis. This is what I see. But my first reaction was, man, I, I can't believe this guy is gone. Like, my stomach dropped in a way that it really hasn't since Kawhi Leonard was traded from the Spurs. And, and I know that that may be an overreaction to some, but he was one of my favorite players to, to just to watch out there. He put his body on the line. He gave it his all. And as far as his impact in the community, I don't know if a lot of people know this. Tom Orsborne of the San Antonio New, uh, Express News share, shared the story the other day. You know, he has an aunt who has special needs. He's very close with her. That has been a really big cause for him. He was super involved with Morgan's Wonderland, which is a theme park for people with disabilities and special needs. And you could see it in his eyes, you know, when, when he was talking to the kids with special needs, to adults with special needs, that it meant a lot to him. And so the fact that he's a great person, you know, he, he's a great player for this organization. He's not going to get that jersey retired or anything like that. But it meant a lot that he was here. He bought into what they wanted to do. He genuinely cared about this organization, this team, this city. And so I wish him well because I think this is going to be huge for him in Boston. I agree. And I, and I put immediately on, on social media that I think Derek in Boston will actually be a little bit more impactful there than he was here in San Antonio. Um, that's not to say Derek was, wasn't a good player here because he was. But I think in a role as that true, that tertiary creator, um, I think he's going to be really solid there, man. Uh, I echo everything you just said as well about him, Derek White, the person, uh, more so than the player. I think he's he's a he's a great human being, um, and it's always it's always nice to see a guy that's really grown that you've been able to watch his development year in and year out, and he's really a guy that embodied kind of what the Spurs like to do as those you know those gritty do the little things have you know do a lot of things that 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 you know, have an effect on winning. Uh, that's what Derek did, right? It was the little things, the small things, the intangible things, just what Derek brought to the table. Uh, any contending team could use a Derek White. And I think, you know, Boston's getting a very good one. Uh, I thought the deal just overall kind of talking about the trade a little bit here, 
the Spurs are going to be losing a player that, you know, albeit they were under 500 when DeJounte, uh, Derek, and Yaka played, they were significantly better with both, all three of them together than with, than they were without. They were 4-16 and 16, uh, when one of them were missing, 16-19 and 19 when the, all three of them played. So regardless of how you feel about the season, clearly they're losing, you know, a top three player on their team right now, top four player on their team. So I think overall, man, it was very tough to watch Derek, you know, leave. But in terms of the compensation, I think, you know, fairly from from a from a just just a perspective of a of a media guy, a writer, I think this is probably one of the better packages you can get for a guy like Derek White in my opinion. Uh first off, the top 4 protection means nothing because Boston's not picking in the top 4 this year. Absolutely, yeah. There's yeah. no way. They'd have to yeah. like the sky would have to fall for them. Exactly. Everybody would have to get injured. They'd have to like exactly. lose every game for the rest of the season. Yeah, exactly. And I also uh Romeo Langford, uh he's someone and I mean this respectfully, uh when I put on Twitter that the pick was the you know, the stake on social media, <laughs> it's not a slide at Romeo Langford because I thought he was nice coming out of Indiana. And for those listening, uh nice, I'm just saying he was good in college, right? He was he, I, he was nice, right? He was he yes. was nice in at Indiana. Yeah. Like I thought it, when he was taken in the lottery, I was a little bit bummed. Because the Spurs that year had the 18th pick, and I thought, okay, maybe not a lottery guy, but if he falls to 18, maybe the Spurs turn him into something special. Maybe they can, but I'd love to hear you continue talk about him because clearly it hasn't worked out in Boston for him. Yeah, man, Romeo Linkford just just in general hasn't shown very much, whether it's as a pick-and-roll ball handler. I believe he's in the 36th percentile. Uh, Catch-and-shoot numbers aren't there. Isolation numbers aren't there. Interesting enough, as an isolation defender, he's in the 96th percentile. <laughs> I think those numbers are a little bit inflated. Uh, but I have heard some solid things about him on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, the one guy that I was actually really interested with them, with the Spurs uh, grabbing from this deal was Josh Richardson. Now, Josh Richardson, he's you know up to this point in his career – there was actually a funny article I read about a couple years ago that mentioned Josh Richardson, you can tell the kind of year he's going to have from the first month of the year. So he would either have a very, very good season if he has a very good first month or he has a down year. I don't think it's it's that inconsistent anymore. But he's really kind of found and carved a role for himself as a really solid 3 and D wing, especially off the catch shooting from deep. Uh, he's a 40% catch and shoot three-point shooter. I think he's a guy that could potentially with the emergence of Josh Primo next season or even this year off the bench as your primary uh, as your primary ball handler, Richardson can be in the Lonnie role, the Lonnie 3 and D role, uh, and I think that would really fit for what the Spurs need and what they want potentially because if you're going to put Devin Vassell in the starting lineup next year, someone I believe should play the two, you're going to need a backup too, right? You're going to need someone that can play that or even a three. So I think, you know, Josh Richardson can feel, uh, you know, can fit right in there. I would love to get your thoughts on Josh Richardson. Obviously, he's not you know, Manu Ginobili at the two guard, right? <laughs> but he's a guy that can, you know, for what the Spurs need within the role, they have a really good, uh, they have a really good track record of really playing players with their strengths, especially within that role. So, I'm in, I'm interested to see how he looks. I'm gonna be a hundred percent honest, and I don't mean to be a downer. I know I sort of come off that way sometimes, but I'm, I'm just trying to be realistic, looking at it long term. I can't really see Josh Richardson fi- fitting here, like. I mean, looking at the situation, just realistically. Yes, he is a good 3 and D player. I think he has some playmaking that has gone away as he's been asked to do less and less on that side of the ball. Like you look at a few years ago in Miami, a guy who averaged 4.1 assists per game to only one and a half turnovers. That's a pretty good assist to turnover ratio, but he's asked to do less and less and less in terms of playmaking every single year to the point where I don't know if it's he can't do it anymore or maybe they just realize he's not a dynamic playmaker, but the Spurs don't really need another role player like outside of DeJounte Murray 
most of these guys are just role players. And that's no disrespect. That's just a fact. Right now, DeJounte Murray has solidified himself as an all-star. But no one else on the roster is really breaking the mold as, you know, this guy's going to be the next face of the franchise or this guy's going to be a number two or this guy's going to be a number three. Occasionally, you have that big outburst from a guy like Lonnie or Keldon Johnson or Devin Vassell. And I certainly believe in some of those young guys. But they don't really need another player who's just going to be you know, like a role player. And we, we talk about Derek not really being part of the young core. He's 27, going to be 28. This is a guy who's 28, going to be 29 next season. And I know some people were confused with, with how the cap looked. Like you look at his contract on spot track, it kind of looks like it expires after this year. But you look at it again, they have extra, some extra details. This guy's actually under contract next season for $12.4 million. His option was picked up the second that you traded for him. So I just don't know. Like, he's 28 years old. I know you don't have a timeline, but I just don't see him fitting there. I would rather see them move on from him. Let's see what Lonnie can do for the rest of the season. Let's see. I mean, obviously, you're going to have to play this guy. He's too good not to play. But I think you should be looking maybe during the offseason, maybe during the summer, go get some picks, maybe try to find a young player, maybe second-round picks, a first-round pick, whatever you can for him because I just don't see him factoring into the long-term plans of a rebuilding organization two points to that I agree the Spurs do not need um for lack of a better term more role players right they don't need they they need guys that can not only raise the floor of this team I think that's what Derek was he was a floor raiser rather than a ceiling raiser they need guys that can really be high-end floor raisers to ceiling raisers Uh, but I think for the time being and potentially even next year I view Josh Richardson as an as like that really like that off the bench you know two or three and that's what I really think that you would get the most value out of him that's where I think he actually fits but that's not to say that he's going to be taking touches away from a guy like Josh Primo or something like that. Because if he is, then we ha- then there's an issue. Then I'm with you 100%. And I'm also with you at the deadline. If you can move him at the deadline, I wouldn't be against that either. But I think right now for where the Spurs are at going forward, if they don't have a guy that can you can truly build around that main piece, right? If they don't have that... I think adding guys, especially for a, a guy in Primo, who I've mentioned a hundred times, right, with this, for the <laughs> segment. But if you're going to have a guy that needs those on-ball reps, you're going to need guys that really fit well next to that. And I think an archetype like Richardson really does fit well next to him. But at the same time, he's not a piece to where you're going to say he's untouchable. I can't move him. Uh, but at the same time, you know this. We know this. If you get a guy like Primo and you have someone uh, like Richardson that fits that well next to him. It can only benefit his development, in my opinion. Of course, if he's taken touches away, then that's a whole other subject. But I think for the time being, and especially even next year with that $12 million hit, uh, considering where the Spurs are at, I felt like it was a really solid uh, really solid deal to get a guy like that who can potentially, in a lower usage role, contribute uh, and help benefit these guys long term. Absolutely. And I, and I want to go back to Derek for just a little bit because sure. when you look at what Derek brought to the table, we talked about the blocks, we talked about you know drawing charges, doing all the little things. And I wanted to shout out Paul Garcia from Project Spurs real quick because one of the things that I thought was very, very interesting when it came to the Spurs team and moving on from Derek is drives per game. DeJounte Murray is among the league leaders in drives per game. He's fourth in the NBA, but he leads this team. 18.1 drives per game. Derek was second on the team, 12.1 drives per game. He wasn't like among the league leaders, but that's still very high volume. You go down the line, does anybody have 11? No. 10? No. 9? 8? The next highest driver on this team is Keldon at 7.7 drives per game, and they're manufactured in a much different way 
than Derek or DeJounte got to the rim. So I'm wondering, you know, for a team that already didn't get to the free throw line very often, that, you know, they like to get to the rim a lot, what do you do to replace this? Because you look at the players who are incoming, Josh Richardson, five drives per game, Sadoransky, 4.3 drives per game, Langford, two drives per game. I don't think Langford's going to play very much. I don't think Sadoransky is going to play really at all. I wouldn't expect him to. And Richardson absolutely has to play. I think he's probably a guy who comes in, plays 20, 22 minutes, sort of like he was in Boston. But five drives per game, that leaves like 7.1 drives per game on the table. I don't know where you're filling that production from. And, and, and also the other things that we spoke about, like the blocks, the, the charges drawn, the shots contested, all that good stuff. I don't know where that comes from. And it feels like DeJounte Murray is going to assume a lot more responsibilities. And that's tough to envision considering he already seventh in the NBA in touches per game. So it just makes me wonder what's going to happen with this roster. What does this offense look like? We got a taste of it tonight in Atlanta. The Spurs beat a very bad Atlanta defense. They were up by as, as much as almost 30 points tonight. I think they ended up winning by almost 15. They had an insane night from three-point land. They were almost 70% in the first half. They finished almost 57 or 58% by the end of the game. Had the most three-pointers in a single quarter by the in team history. So one night, I don't think we can say like that's what they're going to look like every night. And it was fine tonight without Derek. But it makes me wonder, how do, how do you compensate when you start playing defenses that are better once people understand what you're bringing to the table? Yeah, and I, I can see that as well. Now, the Spurs are definitely not in any way better <laughs> without you know Derek White on the roster. And neither of us are saying that. You know, Both of us aren't, aren't, aren't holding that opinion. But at the same time, too, I think right now with what what the with what the Spurs did by identifying what that they what they need to do where they're at as an organization as a team uh you know on and off the floor I think moving a guy like Derek White really just signals to me that they understand what they need is more than what Derek offers right now especially if you're going to start him uh, and and I think overall man th- this the Derek White deal is going to be that one deal which you look at especially this coming off season where you say hey this is probably why they moved off of him. That's my personal opinion. I think this offseason, depending on on a specific move they make or someone that they draft or they sign, I think we're going to find out the real quote-unquote reason on the floor why they moved off Derek, and I would think it's going to happen sometime this offseason. And I think maybe the number one reason they moved Derek, and this is the question that is sort of left yet to be answered here, is who starts now that Derek is gone? Tonight, it was Devin Vassell. And so I was going to ask you this, and I asked you this question earlier when we did our first recording. Who should be the person who replaces Derek in the starting lineup, and who do you want replacing Derek in the starting lineup? You said Devin Vassell. I said Devin Vassell for both of those. We're, we're like the, the leaders of the Devin Vassell fan club. We absolutely love what he brings to the table. He was fourth on my big board the year that he came out of the draft. Everybody, if you've been following this podcast, if you follow my other podcast, At The Line, if you follow my timeline on Twitter, you absolutely know I was ecstatic when the Spurs drafted Devin Vassell, and I don't get excited for that much. Like, I'm pretty stoic. It can be boring at times if you're looking at me, like, but I understand. Like, this guy is huge for us. So, is it Devin Vassell? Is it Lonnie Walker, Josh Primo, Josh Richardson, maybe? And Popovich said, hey, it's Devin Vassell, and I think that's what we expected, but I'll let you expand on this. Do you think that's the right move? And I think I know your answer, but I want to hear it more in depth. 
Yeah, no, it's it's Devin Vassell. It should have been Devin Vassell as far as, I'm going to go right now to one of my articles on Pounding the Rock. November 19, 2021 is when it should have been made already. Uh, but it's, you know, Friday, February 11th, and they made it. So I can't complain too much, right? So I think overall Devin Vassell is the fit there at the two. Uh, that's a position where he said that he feels most comfortable, especially coming into the NBA. Overall, Devin Vassell is a guy that fits no matter who you have on the floor. Devin Vassell has a role. He's that versatile. He fits no matter what you do. I love the shot creation upside. I know you've mentioned that he kind of projects like that Michael Bridges kind of archetype, that player. But honestly, I think we'll both agree, Vassell has a little bit more shot creation upside than uh, than Michael. And I think someone like Vassell especially, depending on how he does oh, you know, over this next stretch of games, if he can kind of tap into that right now, I know DeJounte's going to have more on his plate, but if those touches kind of go to Vassell, I would love to see him in that secondary creator role right now for the remainder of the year. And if that's the case, Noah, we could be ha- we could see something else that maybe we weren't expecting from Vassell in year two. You know what I mean? And maybe that can kind of uh, set the tone and, and build some chemistry heading into the offseason and into year three because Vassell right now, who I believe should be the starter, he's going to be starting next year with the group that you know has DeJounte and Jakob and potentially either Doug or Kelvin. So it's it makes sense now to build that chemistry, you know, amongst you know all of them together in this lineup, and I think you know you would agree with me, Devin Vassell in the starting lineup probably should have you know been already happening, but the fact that it's here now, uh, better late, you know, better now than never, you know what I mean? So, I think it's Vassell a hundred percent. Absolutely, and and I and I again we we all love Derek White, one of my favorite players. I think he did a lot of good for this organization while he was here. And the one question that I think everybody had for years and years and years was, you know, can Derek and DeJounte play together? Can they coexist? Do they amplify each other's strengths? Defensively, we learned the answer was yes. But on the offensive end, both guys aren't really shooting the ball that well this year. Derek's a solid cutter. DeJounte's not really much of a cutter. He kind of needs the ball in his hands to be efficient. Derek is kind of the same way where he's best with the ball in his hands. And it just wasn't a very pretty marriage on the offensive end didn't work that well and so yeah it feels like Devin Vassell should have been in there you can move Derek White to the second unit we've talked about this time and time again throughout the season from the timeline to the podcast and spaces you name it we've talked about this a ton of times and now we're going to get to see Devin Vassell in the starting lineup I think we're going to end up seeing Josh Primo in the second unit and this is something we also talked about earlier when we did this first run of the podcast before I forgot to turn on the mic (laughs) (laughs) like when, when Lonnie Walker headed into that Cleveland game, he was sort of a game-time decision, some knee soreness, and so I was willing to say, you know, maybe it was the knee soreness was why he came into the game, played 11 minutes, didn't really see minutes after that, not even in garbage time once they were blown out, and Josh Primo got 20 minutes. But then you look at it, Josh Primo has averaged 22.5 minutes per game since February began. Lonnie Walker's minutes have continued to go down and down and down. And looking at the game in Atlanta tonight, Devin Vassell, the man was very good tonight. 20 points, five rebounds, three assists. Josh Primo, 13 points, two rebounds, three assists. Lonnie Walker, two points, two rebounds, did not make a single shot from the field tonight, and he only played 13 minutes. So that is the second straight game in which he has played less than 15 minutes. 11 minutes against the Cavs was a season low. This is the next lowest amount of minutes he's played all season. And it feels like he is steadily losing his grasp on what was really his position to lose when the season started. So that's unfortunate. I'm not going to pile on to Lonnie, but it certainly feels like we know who the starter is. 
and we're starting to learn who the backup is going to be for the rest of the season. Yeah, and especially with what the Spurs need right now, Noah, shout out to Matt Issa on our podcast. Now that you brought that up, it completely refreshed my memory. Um, <laughs> the Spurs right now, especially offensively, need someone that can actually bend the defense, that actually has gravity with the ball in their hands, that can work well outside of structure, right? So right now, DeJounte, he, uh, I can, I can for football terms like this, DeJounte's the prototypical pocket quarterback that works so well within the scheme, right? They need someone that can do a little bit more outside of that, that actually has gravity outside of that, that can you know help elevate those around him. Not to say that DeJounte doesn't, but they need someone that can truly create at all three levels and have that gravity, man. Gravity, gravity, gravity. We all have experienced it before, right? And I think that's the one <laughs> thing that with Josh Primo, you're hoping that can actually become. Because you didn't draft Josh Primo at 12 to be your 3 and D catch and shoot two guard, right? If that's the case, they could have drafted, you know, whomever at the, you know, at they could have had and, Chris Duarte. Yeah, they could have I, had I was, I was almost say twenty-four that. Yeah. year old Chris Duarte. <laughs> they could have gone like a guy six years older. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and and so you drafted Primo because you think he has shot creation upside that isn't found on this team right now, right? So I think potentially, you know, whether it's Lonnie doesn't see the time in the the PT or the touches anymore, that's going to Josh Primo, like you mentioned. I think we're seeing that now, and it's for good reason. I think that's why. You know, one of the reasons why Derek, you know, isn't a spur anymore is because they don't, they don't need a guy that just works really well within a confined role. They need someone that can help transcend and elevate those around him, uh, even more so than a guy like Dejounte. And I think you know, you know, when all, when all said and done, uh, it's unfortunate that a guy like Lonnie didn't quote unquote work out here in a role that the Spurs were kind of hoping he would. Uh, but at the same time, that opens so much more for a guy, for a guy like Primo Vassell in the starting lineup. And hey, we might learn something else from another play that we didn't know. Maybe DeJounte shows a little bit more than we've already seen this year. You know what I mean? So the possibilities are endless here. And shout out to DeJounte because I know you were busy for most of tonight's game. So I'm not yeah. going to fault you for not being able to keep up with the game. But to be 100% honest with you, this was his best game of the season. Yes, it came against an Atlanta defense that was abysmal tonight. But you saw DeJounte Murray doing some things that we haven't really seen him do. He had a catch-and-shoot three from the corner. He had a pull-up three. He had several pull-up mid-range jumpers. He was wheeling and dealing with the ball in his hand tonight, finished with 32 points, 10 rebounds, 15 assists, four steals, and the man ended up shooting 61.1% from the field, 40% from three. And I'm going to go ahead and play a little bit of trivia with you. I love to do this. If you yeah, had to guess, if you had to guess right now, how many players in NBA history have scored at least 30 points in a game, 10 rebounds, 15 assists, and four steals? One. One. Okay, well, it's more than one. Oh, uh, is and it I, really? I, I, yeah, That's it an really impressive is, yeah. stat line, dude. Yeah, That's it really is. It's, an, right, it's an insane <laughs> stat line, and he is in such good company. The only guys who have ever done that in the history of the NBA, only four guys have done it outside of DeJounte, okay, okay. and they've each done it one time. Pistol Pete Maravich. Magic Johnson, Luka Doncic, and LeBron James. That is it. That is yeah. excellent company to keep. And we'll play one last trivia question. DeJounte Murray had one turnover tonight. How many of those games came with one turnover or, or less? Of the four that you just mentioned? Of the four that I just mentioned None. and DeJounte. None. Only DeJounte. Yeah. Only DeJounte. One, one turnover tonight. And so, yes, you look at the game, and I, and I definitely will concede that he had a lot of those assists where it's just a guy right next to him or he hits Yaka Pertle who it's a push shot but you know what 15 assists or 15 assists on the box score 
It does not discriminate. And he was excellent tonight. I think he was a plus 33 or plus 34. They were so much better when he was on the court tonight. And for me, after he was named an all-star, he comes out. His first game is against Darius Garland, a guy we both absolutely love. And DeJounte Murray didn't, you know, he didn't underperform, but he was outplayed. He was outclassed by Darius Garland. He came out against this Hawks team that another guy we really love, Trey Young. And if you had to guess coming into the night, it would be, okay, you know, Trey Young, he's not just an all-star, he's a superstar. And DeJounte didn't just come in here and, and put up big numbers, but he was part of the reason that Mr. Trey Young had a hard night. He did not shoot well. He had a lot of turnovers. He still had 11 assists. He got his 19 points, but he was frustrated, picked up a technical foul. He was asking for, you know, foul calls. He was complaining. He was on the ground. DeJounte Murray picked up a, a, a couple of fouls on that guy. He was able to pick up a blocking foul in transition. He had him frustrated all night. So shout out to DeJounte because, again, maybe we do learn something about DeJounte. You know, these guys are always developing. They're always trying to get better. If there's one guy you can probably bet on getting better every year, it's DeJounte Murray. Yes, there are some holes in his game. There are definitely things that he can get better at, and we talked about that with Matt Issa last time. We had our podcast a week ago. But I just want to say, you know, this is a really exciting time for the Spurs. We could learn a lot about even a guy like Trey Jones. That's my guy. That's my guy. I love <laughs> Trey Jones. Second rounder. I don't think he's a starter. I don't think he's a star. He's probably only ever going to be a backup. But I'm just excited to learn what we don't already know about some of these guys because we may end up walking away surprised. But I did want to sort of move things on here. This was an exciting, albeit confusing trade deadline. There were a ton of moving parts. But before we close things out, I just wanted to give fans a basic breakdown of what San Antonio traded away and what they got back in return. So sit tight with me here. So incoming to the Spurs, Tomas Sedaransky, Goran Dragic, Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, the 2022 Celtics first rounder, which is going to be 18th if the pick parlayed today a 2022 Raptors first rounder that would be the 20th pick if it parlayed today, a 2027 second round pick that will be from either the Thunder, Heat, Pacers, or I believe the Celtics. It'll probably, you know, it's too far down the road for us to really project who it's going to come from, but let's go ahead and say the Heat because they're a team that you could see being really good by then. You're also going to get the 2028 Celtics first round pick swap, which who knows where it's going to be down the line. Like in six years, maybe it ends up like the Celtics are not very good. I don't know. How, how old are you, Dame? Just out of curiosity. 23. So you're 23. I think Jason Tatum's the same age. Like, he'll be yep. 29 by them. Who knows where they're going to be? Is he going to be a Celtic? Is Jalen Brown still going to be there? Like, they could be in a different situation where the Spurs end up getting their pick. It's a lottery pick. There's no protections on this. So that could be huge. And then, of course, we know that they're getting the 2028 20, Nuggets second rounder. You know, nothing special there, but you're able to package picks. Maybe you move up later, and we'll talk about that as we round things out. But the outgoing pieces here, I think this is what is so impressive because all these incoming pieces that could be valuable outside of the buyout guys who were sort of always going to be buyouts. But outgoing is Bryn Forbes, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Thaddeus Young, Drew Eubanks, Derek White, and a 2022 Pistons second rounder. All of those guys were not playing very much outside of Derek White and Bryn Forbes. Like those are no no offense, like not in not in a literal sense, but those are throwaway pieces. You're not you know dumping the, your your team is not gonna be bottoming out. It's not a devastating loss if those guys are gone. And so I just feel like the Spurs did such a good job. So with all the madness out of the way, all of these things recapped, what grade would you give Brian Wright in this front office at the trade deadline? And what does this tell us about the direction that this franchise is trying to go in? 
like a good college professor, I'm gonna uh, grade on a little bit of a curve, <laughs> uh, not because, not because uh, you know nothing of fan oriented or anything like that, but because the Spurs, you know, historically are a very conservative uh, organization, especially in the trade market. Uh, so I'm gonna give them a slight two point, three point curve, and I'm gonna give them an A plus. And the reason why wow. I'm gonna give them an A plus uh, is because, like you mentioned, and this is no disrespect to those guys, um, even a guy like Derek White. But you traded rotational pieces and at best a third, you know, your third initiator on a playoff team, right? And you grabbed two first round picks, multiple second round picks, and a pick swap down the line that could potentially pay huge dividends down the line, right? For pieces that, you know, respectfully again, you didn't trade your two best your two best players. You could have been like the Sacramento Kings and moved multiple assets and your best young player. For a guy like Sabonis and be capped out a, a 38 win team in an 82 game regular season, and you know we'd all be you know SOL right now. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah. and, and right now the Spurs, I think Brian Wright did an excellent job. And, and you know, granted, they're not going to get anything out of Sadaransky or Dragic, and heck, they might not get much out of Romeo Langford. But you got one rotational backup, you know, two that can potentially. Maybe you can get a late first from, you know, God knows who or, or an early second or something like that for a, a Josh Richardson. And that even adds even more so to where you're headed, which is you're a rebuilding team. Is it a little bit late that they're that they're going down this route? Sure. But like I mentioned earlier, better now than never. Right. And I'm glad that they identified what they need to do. You know, kind of talking about me and you here as broadcasters, as, as you know, as aspiring writers, reporters, we don't just want it. We we really want it, right? In the words of uh, Bruce Boudreaux, famous Caps coach, you can't just want it. You got to go out and effing want it, right? And the Spurs, they didn't go out and sit on their hands and twiddle their thumbs and hope to land in the top three. No, they went out and attacked. They conquered, and they set the tone for what should be a rebuilding Spurs team. And essentially, by the time we hit the mid of the 2020s, uh, late 2020s, this should be an organization that's back to winning. The true Spurs way above all is winning and i think brian wright's uh, set the tone for what should be you know the first offseason in spurs hoops in a very long time that actually is going to rebuild and hopefully by the time we hit you know a couple seasons from now we're talking about a whole you know different spurs team one that's even more consistent uh, um, hopefully a team that has that centerpiece that you need and uh, i think if if that's the case we can look at February 10th as the first day of starting that new quote-unquote era, that new dynasty, if it gets to that point of Spurs hoops. Absolutely, and and I'm excited and I, I'm ready to see what this team does because you look on the Twitter timeline, you look on social media, you look at some of the fans who go to the game, you talk to fans. A lot of people were starting to say, you know, what is Brian Wright even doing? You know, is it time to fire this guy? You know, Pop Pop is washed. He doesn't know what he's doing on the court. He he's he has too much control or he has no idea what he's doing in this front office or he doesn't know how to manage rotations or players. And they responded in a big way. You know, there was a report, I can't remember if it was from ESPN or Sports Illustrated or The Athletic that Brian Wright and Popovich did not see eye to eye on how to proceed with this franchise given their circumstances. And over the last couple of years, you see them make pretty minimal moves. You know, they're, they're playing it very safe. And then Brian Wright, it seems at some point there might have been a, a, a turning point for them. And they go, you know, Popovich is saying, hey, you know, maybe. And again, this is just speculation. This is not hard proof. I don't have any 100% facts on this. But it feels like Popovich said, look, I'm looking in the mirror. This team is not very good. You know, there was reports that he has been reinvigorated by coaching this young team, that it's a challenge. But 
no coach want to go wants to go out at the bottom. You want to go out at the top, or you want to leave an organization in a better place than when you were were inheriting this organization. And so it feels like Pop said, you know what? I'm gonna back off a little bit. I'm gonna spend time mentoring these guys even more, coaching these guys even more. Brian Wright, you have the freedom to do what you think this organization needs to do. And Brian Wright responded. Pop responded. They made a ton of moves. And what I like the most about this is they didn't just make moves for the sake of making moves. They weren't like a team like the Sacramento Kings who said, we're giving up Tyrese Halliburton. We're giving up picks. We're getting Sabonis, who's sort of like a middling all-star. And no disrespect to Sabonis. He is a really, really solid player. But he's not taking the Kings to a championship. De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis, they are not taking the Kings to a championship. They maybe add four, five, six wins. They get in the play-in. Maybe they're uh, you know, an eighth seed in the playoffs, and they get knocked out in the first round. But Brian Wright said, you know what? We're making moves, but we're not going to be reckless. And we're going to maintain cap flexibility moving forward. Paul Garcia, again, shout out to Paul Garcia because he is excellent. He is a wizard with the cap. The Spurs, according to him here, and I trust him, he is very good with this stuff. If they let all their free agents walk this summer, they waive players who are not on guaranteed contracts, they can open up $33.4 million in cap space. A lot has been made about, you know, the Spurs on a free agency destination. And yes, that is true. They probably won't land a big fish, but that is so important. Trying to retain your own guys, maybe sign guys on the fringes who can help this team. And outside of that, you just look at the context of what they've got going on here. They have been competitive every single night. You look at cleaning the glass. Cleaning the glass says that the Spurs should be uh, you know, a 500 team right now. You mentioned it earlier. They haven't been very good in the clutch, but you get a few good pieces. Maybe you use all of these first-round picks and second-round picks you have to move up. You get the sixth pick or seventh pick. You move up to the third pick. Now you're looking at Paolo Banchero, maybe Chet Holmgren, maybe even a guy like Jabari Smith Jr., and you could change your franchise around really quickly. So I absolutely agree with what you were saying. They didn't just sit on their laurels. They weren't twiddling their thumbs. They weren't just hoping to luck into something. They're being proactive, but they weren't reckless. And I think that is so important because if you're reckless, it can send you to the bottom real quick and it is hard to get out of the cellar. Yeah, and I think in years past especially, the Spurs have been ultra conservative in the way that they really don't make any moves and they really stick with what they have like the famous you know meme is we like what we have you know everyone's laughed about it and they've seen <laughs> it right uh, and that's really been what they what they've done and I think for them to do this for them to say to identify where they're at and truly because change is tough folks I mean look at the, the history of humanity right not to broaden <laughs> it but look at how difficult change is for you to identify that and be honest with yourself and say hey this is not okay right now. We need to figure this out and make something happen and start it. Man, starting that trajectory of where you want to go, especially yesterday, uh, it, as, as, a, as a writer, I get very excited when I see organizations make move and identify what needs to be done and they go out and do it. And it's even it even makes me a little bit even more happy, or it gives me a little bit more spark to see it's a team that I grew up you know loving, a team that I write about now. Um, so I think overall, Noah, I think you know we can both sit here and say – if you're a Spurs fan right now, you should be encouraged at where they're going and what they did uh, yesterday. Absolutely, and I think I forgot to give them a grade, so I will give them a grade here. I'm going to give yeah. them an A. I won't go as far as A+, because I think for an A+, you really had to have landed a franchise changer or done something that absolutely just propels you to the next level, but absolutely an A. And adding more context to this, 
Pop in the front office also picked up the Lakers' 2022 second-round pick, a 2023 Pacers second-round pick, a 2025 Bulls first-rounder, 2025 Bulls second-rounder, the rights to swap second-round picks with the Pacers in 2026, all from the DeMar DeRozan and Doug McDermott sign-in trades this offseason. So they haven't just been standing pat. They have absolutely been proactive. They're making moves. And you make those little moves on the fringes, you get those picks like I mentioned. Maybe you trade up. Maybe the NBA basketball gods reward you for doing it the quote-unquote right way. You know, they haven't bottomed out. They haven't just tossed in the white flag completely. They've been competitive night in and night out. I anticipate they will still be competitive, adding Josh Richardson. Maybe some of these vets play. You know, DeJounte has seemingly taken his game to another level a little bit. So just really proud of this Spurs team because we talk about, you know, the same things it feels like almost every week, whether, you know, can DeJounte be that guy or, you know, is it time for Lonnie to move on? And it feels like we finally have a reason, not just fans, but us as media members, to be excited for a new era of Spurs basketball. And as you mentioned, you know, it may be coming a little bit late, but the fact that it's coming at all, that is so huge. It makes this job a lot more fun. It makes being a fan more fun. And I think that's sort of a good place to end because – We've said everything we can say about the Spurs team. We've yep. said everything we can say about the trade deadline. And I appreciate you so much every single week. For those of you who don't know, Dame comes to these meetings that we do. He helps me with the rundowns. He records this with me every single week. And he was a real one for coming back at 10 p.m. to record a second episode after I messed up earlier. So, Dame, you've absolutely earned it, man. You deserve those flowers. And let everybody know where they can find you on social media, your basketball content, your football content, because, man, you're a superstar. Hey man, I appreciate you, bro. I mean, there's no play, there's nothing I'd rather do at 11 o'clock at night after coming <laughs> off of work, getting off of work, than doing this, brother. And that's sincere, though. That's that's honest. That's genuine, bro. So I appreciate you, man, for sure. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter, though, y'all at uh, at D A Bartonic. That's at D A B A R T O N E K. A lot of Washington stuff, a lot of Texas State stuff, a lot of Spurs stuff. Uh, I'm a full time student, so I try to you know say stay as active as I can on social media and you know do all that good stuff. But it's a grind, and you know my brother knows grinding as well. So go check him out and check out everyone at Pound in the Rock. Uh, everyone's really dope out there. So Noah, I'll let you close out the show. Absolutely, and you can find me at n underscore magaro m a g a r o. You can see me tweeting every single day. I'm giving you news. I'm giving you stats. I'm giving you some. Just fun facts out there. So go ahead and follow me on Twitter. You can also find my Spurs words just like you can find Damian Spurs words at Pounding the Rock. My YouTube channel, I want to start doing some more Spurs film reviews. I know I've been absent for a little bit. We're going to start those up again. And if you're listening to the podcast, you probably already know. It's Alamo City Limits. Me and Dame, we co-host this every single week. It's a blast. He's one of my good friends. Absolutely love that he's on board with me every week. And thanks again, you know, Dame, thank you for joining me. And thank you to every single Spurs fan who comes out, supports this podcast. You know, thank you for tuning into this edition of Alamo City Limits. And again, for those of you listening at home, make sure to subscribe. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have got a fantastic staff of writers over at Pounding the Rock who do an amazing job of keeping everybody up to date with their favorite team. So check our stuff out. But until next time, Spurs fans, take care.